Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Good morning, my friend. Sun shining. Not a bad day out there. No, but boy, is it wet and muddy. It is. It is. (laughs) (laughs) I I considered leasing my arena when the snow goes to the fishing game for (laughs) trout production. Yeah, you don't want to go out there even with your tractor. Now, can you imagine me out there and sinking in with all the mud and everything? They wouldn't find me till July. (laughs) Holy cow. So, Zeb, we've been talking about the riders of the Old West. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Uh, Horace Greeley and those guys. Yeah. So we're going to kind of continue that vein okay. a little bit. We're going to talk about the printing presses, the guys that ran the printing presses. This has always fascinated me. You're, you're talking about something that uh, fascinates me, the way it was set up and the way they had to operate. Yeah. So... Get this. It's 1850. Okay. Uh, unlikely day while being transported across the Isthmus of Panama, uh, headed to California, a, a Washington hand printing press. That was the brand. Washington hand printing press. Yeah. It sank in the river. Oh, no. Where the, uh, because the uh, canoes carrying it capsized, so it sunk. They tried to get it, but they couldn't get it. It weighed 1,870 pounds. Well, no wonder it sunk. But the story goes a little further, Zeb. I see. It said the owner dived into the crocodile-infested waters and single-handedly heaved the huge Washington back aboard. Okay. No, I think this is a little bit of a Paul Bunyan story. yeah, Yeah. So improbable, yeah. One way or another, they managed to get this up out of the river. Was it salvageable? Yeah, yeah. It's just all metal, I guess. So anyway, it was undamaged. They pulled it into Panama City. and Who went down with the rope and the crocodiles? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> uh, well, there the owner there in Panama City set up his press and turned out a newspaper for just a little while uh, called the Panama Star. Well, then this trusty Washington hand press uh, set sail for California where it printed papers in San Diego and San Bernardino. Later, it was taken over the Sierras to a Nevada mining country and back again to California. That same press? That same press. And at different times, it printed papers called the Herald, the Patriot, the Star, the Union, and the Independent. So these these things were kind of uh, mobile, I'm going to say. Kind of? Yeah. Even though how was, big was this? Well, I don't know how big physically, but it was you know almost 2,000 pounds, so fairly good-sized. Wow. But the adventures and the misadventures of this particular Washington press, Imperial Number 3, was typical in the working life of frontier printing presses. For example, in 1836, a press for a local newspaper in Harrisburg, Texas, was dumped into a bayou 
by the Mexican general Santa Ana because he wasn't very fond of them using the slogan, Remember the Alamo. How come they always keep throwing these presses in the water? <laughs> I guess all the they time? figure they're going to get rid of them somehow. Oh, what then, happens to all the type, though? Well, they're separate, so I, uh, hopefully they're still hanging on to them. Then in 1859 in Utah Territory, a Washington press was used uh, as a – they chained a criminal to it because it's so heavy. They figured he couldn't move if he was chained to this printing he press. He was the typesetter. Yeah. Then in 1862, a hand press set up in Sioux Falls, uh, Dakota Territory, was thrown into the Big Sioux River. Another one. By a war party of Santee Sioux. The raiders carried away the type metal and melted it down to make jewelry. So, you know, they just got an affinity of throwing these things in the yeah, water. Yeah. Well, that's not the end of it. In 1863, another press was damaged by fire when the Confederate guerrilla Quantrill, you remember him, oh, yeah. sacked Lawrence, Kansas. And uh, another time, a brand new press was swept away in Denver by a flash flood. In 1864, in Nevada Territory, uh, they attempted to put an unfriendly editor's Washington hand press out of commission by making off with the main lever. You know, there's a big wooden lever that yeah, they use to yeah. press it down. Well, the editor, he just whittled a new one out of mahogany and kept going. Really? So they didn't stop him. But just as the press has often had a hard time of it in recording the Old West, so did the journalists who owned and operated these sturdy machines. For example, Jesse Randall, a publisher of the Georgetown, Colorado Courier, had to dodge cannonballs blasted through his front window. <laughs> and he still was setting the type. <laughs> he, William B. William N. Byers, editor of the Rocky Mountain News, was kidnapped by a gang of outlaws who took exception to his editorial remarks about the saloon where they hung out. Really? They didn't care for what he said about that saloon. Oh, my God. Freedom of the press. Yeah. So Asa Mercer, publisher of the Northwestern Livestock Journal in Cheyenne, was uh, thrown into jail by cattle barons who disliked being called, quote, the banditti of the plains. Ah. They didn't care... For being called Bantus, basically. So, uh, he, so they threw him in jail. What about his press? Uh, I don't know. They probably threw that in the water, too. <laughs> they might have. So the unpopular publisher of the Morning Rustler was tarred and feathered in <laughs> Medicine Lodge, Kansas. Really? Uh, disgruntled uh, subscribers of the Barber County Mail, when they discovered the town lacked tarn and anyone willing to surrender a feather bed, they ingeniously coated editor M.J. Cochran with sorghum molasses and sand burrs oh. before riding him out of town on a rail. Wait a minute. <laughs> sorghum? Yeah. And you know. sand burrs. <laughs> and then riding him out on a rail. That would be so, a, you'd have kind of a high ride. I'll yeah, you, you would. That, yeah. And, and then, of course, Nature took his hand uh, against some of these guys. Uh, the the, the uh, editor of the Delphos Kansas Herald uh, stood in the path of a tornado that smashed his printing plus play, press to pieces. To pieces. To pieces. <laughs> there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Say that There's twice. another gem. Yeah. So the editor of the Frontier Scout and Army Journal complained about the Post's bed bugs. 
where he was living. Oh, boy. And here's what he said about the bed bugs. We have seen them in battalions, in divisions, in army corps, all, SARS, all sizes, regularly organized, thoroughly drilled. <laughs> <laughs> Referring to the bed bugs. <laughs> oh. And Joe Johnson of the Wood River Huntsman's Echo. Is so, that up here north no, of us? No, that's over in uh, Nebraska. Oh, okay. Almost lost his one and only employee when grazing buffalo persisted in peeking into the office and scaring the daylights out of the printer. <laughs> now, the most unfortunate of them all was young Horace Myers, editor of the Corinne, Utah Daily Report. Just down the road. Yeah, he suffered so much uh, anxiety trying to keep solvent. This is kind of sad. He ended it all by swallowing a lethal dose of laudanum. Really? He just did did away with himself. Couldn't take it. Couldn't take it. Anymore. So, but despite the hazards and the casualty rate among editors who exposed their lives and property, uh, you know, the Old West had lots of newspapers, lots of them. In the last two-thirds of the 19th century, there was a total of 10,000 weekly and daily journals published in 17 Western states between 1858 and 1899. Nevada alone saw the launching of 205, and but all but 25 of them survived. May I ask a question here? Sure. When they set the type on those old printers, yeah. I'm trying to think, didn't they have to set everything backwards? Yes, upside, yes, backwards, because when they print... You had to be pretty sharp not oh, to mess that up. Exactly, yeah. Now, uh, some of these n- newspapers were kind of fleeting as the one called the BB Blizzard. The BB Blizzard. And you'll see why. It was printed at Kinsley's, Kansas, late in January 1886 to entertain 300 passengers of the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad who'd been stranded there by a raging snowstorm. No kidding. So they called it the BBB Blizzard. Wow. <laughs> now, other journals like the San Francisco Chronicle, Denver's Rocky Mountain News, Salt Lake uh, City's Deseret News, they were strong enough to survive for decades and, you know, became pretty much fixtures of life in the Old West. Where were these printers manufactured? I'm going to guess they had to be back east, right? Okay. I'm, I'm going to say they had to be. All I right. don't know. But the thousands of men and some women who put out these papers were various. Uh, some had been uh, lawyers, preachers, teachers, postmasters, farmers, miners, uh, even one circus clown. Yeah, uh, by, like we have in Washington right now. By, by nature, they were restless, outspoken. They produced a highly personal brand of journalism. So they could... You know, they kind of said, I guess, whatever they wanted to say within reason. In 1865, a 22-year-old Confederate soldier named Lee Freeman. We're going to talk about him for a little bit. Okay. He was released from 13 months in the Norse prisoner of war camp. And this former combat telegrapher was able to land a job with the U.S. Army at Fort Kearney in Nebraska. There, in addition to sending and receiving military messages for his former enemies, Lee Freeman took over publication of the fort's newsletter called the Kearney Herald. Okay. Okay. Now, follow me with this. We're going to talk about this guy. So, Lee Freeman sent for his older brother, Fred, also a former Confederate telegrapher, and together they turned the Herald into a genuine newspaper 
And this is what's cool. Having access to the Army's telegraph wires, they enjoyed a built-in advantage over other journals in the region because they promised national and international news at least two days ahead of their competitors. Wow. So they had kind of a leg up on They were the Reuters Uh, of the time, yeah. Well, the coming of the Union Pacific in 1866 brought Fort Kearney first a boom and then kind of a bust. But the Freeman brothers, they were they were pretty sharp. They came upon this idea. They would become editors as transient as the railroad itself. Even better, they would get out ahead of the train whenever the construction crews approached a new uh, path uh, right away. The Freemans would be waiting, ready to print a newspaper. So they'd be ahead of the newspaper as they were progressing west. You mean ahead of the train? Ahead of the train, yeah. Oh. Uh, and, and all the workers. Yeah. So they had a newspaper before they even oh, uh, got okay. to the end of the tracks. So they bought a new Washington hand press. That must have been a kind of a popular one. Evidently. This Washington hand press. If they press. weren't in the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or rusted out. So they hired a train of heavy freight wagons. Well, you remember it was 1,800 pounds. Yeah. Four yoke of oxen to the wagon and loaded up the press, type and everything. How big was it at all and everything? I, I don't know. Oh. I, I've seen pictures that I'm going to guess it's at least three feet tall by couple of feet wide, another oh two or three feet wide, uh, you know. Okay. So they loaded up the press, and they set out for North Platte, 100 miles to the west, and their new newspaper, the Frontier Index, was in business before the tracks came in sight. They quickly began to thrive as circulation and advertising boomed with the arrival of the crews. May I ask a question? Sure. Were they one of the first papers to get advertising for the papers? That's a good question. I, they all had advertisers. Really? But yeah, and so I think when they got to a new area, they would just go around to the various towns and try to get uh, ads from the from the local people. So the North Platte boom lasted six months. When it began to slow, the Freeman brothers packed up and uh, rolled with the railroad. They went through North Platte, Julesburg, Cheyenne, Laramie City, Fort Benton, Green River, Bear River, uh, 25 different locations they set up ahead of the train, ahead Whoa. of the tracks. Well, between Laramie and Fort Benton, the newspaper, the Index, Wagon Caravan, the brothers was attacked by a party of renegade whites, got up as Indians. The raiders abandoned the wagons uh, when they discovered that the index's properties didn't have anything to eat, wear, spend, or drink. (laughs) So the Freeman's newspaper came to an untimely end in November 1868 in Wyoming. Uh, These temporary towns had been growing progressively more lawless as the rails moved toward Promontory, Utah, and the Bear River City was proving to be the worst of the lot, and that's where they were. And Freddie Freeman went on to be the first baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He did. You knew that. I didn't think you'd catch that. So, as editors, the Freemans endorsed the vigilante committees that tried to enforce a degree of order. Well, one day when a group of uh, graders on, uh, how should we say, whiskey, staged a riot, the vigilantes broke up the demonstration, Brother Fred evidently was away at the time. Lee published a relatively mild, for him, editorial asserting that Bear River City has stood enough of the rowdy criminal element. Uh oh. The graders rioted again, then got a rope and headed for the index, this, the newspaper. This doesn't sound good. Which was housed in a tent. The story goes that a townsman knew they were coming and he went to Lee. He knew that Lee was going to be in danger. 
So he took a mule to the Danger, back. heck, he was going to get hung. <laughs> he took a mule to the back of a tent, which is where the it was being uh, printed. He slid it open, helped Lee mount a mule, and they dashed away to Fort Bridger, 20 miles away. Dashed away on a, <laughs> on a mule. mule. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, the next day, uh, the editor uh, hurried back from Fort Bridger with a troop of cavalry with Lee, and, he, and the riot was put down, but the index, the newspaper, was nothing remained but ashes, a uh, jumble of type. The Washington Press was all smashed to pieces. Oh, my. I guess since they couldn't throw it in the water, they just <laughs> smashed it up. So with You got to have a puddle. You got to have. <laughs> well, so with the end of the index, his, his career was ended. Uh, so, uh, and his brother Lee, they kind of, that was kind of the end of it. So they got discouraged and quit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, supplying news to the editor's uh, own town was usually, uh, you know, you talked about marriages, births, deaths, Fourth of July celebrations. Sometimes there wasn't a lot, you know, prairie fires, lodge meetings. Did they charge for these newspapers? Oh, yeah. Like maybe a nickel or something like that. You know, so. Uh, anyway, and a lot of the villages with nowhere to go, the, eventually the local news dried up. They didn't have anything. Uh, when there was not enough to say about their own areas, the Western editors started borrowing stories from some of the other local newspapers. A, another much-honored institution of Western journalism was the out-and-out hoax. You know, the fake news, right. some tall tale or dreamed up by to fill in a deadline. Re- readers usually knew they were being lied to, but they enjoyed it. The more outrageous, the better, better, better editor. It's one of those days, Ken. One of those days. <laughs> editor Don Biggers in Texas, uh, who had a, a newspaper called the Billy Goat. <laughs> Invented it a, doesn't get any better than that. He invented a terrible monster, the Wampus Cat. The, I've heard of that. Have you? Yeah. A ferocious beast, a cross between a wild cat, a badger, and a lobo wolf, and turned it loose to terrorize the countryside. Every week, he solemnly reported a new effort to hunt down the yeah. predator. The Wampus The cat. Wampus Cat lived on and on. Too mean and wily for even the fastest guns in Texas. There you go. The (laughs) wampus cat. Yep. Love that, don't you? You know, I'm really infatuated, though, with the time and the work that it took to set up the type. Yeah. I mean, uh, have you actually seen somebody do that with those old type presses? You know, I've I've actually seen a press, you know, myself, looked at it and seen how it works and and seen the rack with all the letters. Well, I was going to say, they must have had... Like how many of each letter? Right, and of course, obviously, the more popular letters they're going to have more of. Yeah, but yeah, I've seen where this board that had like a whole bunch of A's, then some B's, C's, D's. Yeah, and how again, big were they? About maybe tiny. They very, were tiny, very small. Okay. Yeah, just I'm going to say a quarter. Inch, and maybe? so they had to look at the word like uh, doctor, and right. they had to spell it backwards, exactly, or upside down. Not, it had to be uh, not backwards, but I believe, and I could be wrong on that. I want to say I up. think it's backwards. Is it backwards? Okay. Because when they lowered that, it would come out the. Uh, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I would have to. Anybody get, out there that knows was did they have to set the type backwards or, or upside down? Upside down. 
for some reason, I'm thinking upside down okay. because the words had to still go left to right. Okay. All right. Right. So I, that's what I'm thinking. That must have taken a long, yeah, long. Well, th- these guys uh, had to be, you know, the typesetter had to be fast. He had to know what he's doing. I mean, and probably working late at night. Because yeah, that leaves me out. <laughs> they had to get the newspaper out by the next morning a lot of times. Or, wow. Uh, yeah. What if they did a daily paper? Again, you know, and then again, you know, maybe they had several typesetters. Oh, that could uh, be. Th- that would make more sense that they would have several guys. And they drank a lot. <laughs> well, <laughs> they might misspell some words, Zeb. <laughs> I mean, I misspell words on my uh, on my computer. <laughs> well, I'm smart enough not to use one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, that is interesting because 1,800 pounds, and they carried that one all across the West. Oh, yeah, yeah, all up and down California and Nevada and uh uh, you know, it must have been a good quality one because well, a number of them were made and used back back in the in the West. Man, you so, come up with some of the wildest stories. Uh, I bet you old Veeble, Fluster, Budweiser, whatever, really appreciates that. He does. Okay. 